What's up, everybody? This is episode 116 of Cooldown Time. This is a weekly show where two longtime friends cool down and talk about video games. I'm your graphically impressive host, Marco. Joining me is the technical mess of the show, Pablo. Pablo, uh, other than bragging about your your hours being uh, mm. dramatically lower uh, with your new gig uh, and making me jealous off air, uh, how are you doing? Well, I mean, I'm a little sleep deprived uh, through uh, no fault of my family or my son, just through my own. I've just been playing a certain video game a little bit nonstop. And the only time I got is playing it like from 11 p.m. to like 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. And so that's what I've been doing <laughs> because my hours have been so low that I don't have to exactly get up early in the morning like I used to. So mm. it's been good. All right, wait a minute. Wait a minute. See, we were doing fine. It was normal. <laughs> it we were we were going right through everything. It was nice little banter, little dialogue, and then you grunted. Why did you grunt? Why did I you mean, do the? That's like a sharding sound you just did. I'm on like air. a, cause I'm a grunter at heart. Um, but that's basically it. You know, that's what's in my heart. Grunts. Nobody in human history has ever said they're a grunter at heart, though. That, that's that's <laughs> what I'm trying to say, people. When I tell you this man is a technical mess. All right, Marco, it comes listen, out. Listen, that what? that's true, and I and I understand what you're saying, but I want to know how you're doing. We can't have one normal intro. That's how I'm doing. That's uh, how uh, I'm that's doing. Right. Not one. We can't. Have, we we just we just can't have good things on I mean, this normal show. Normal is relative, you know. To it ain't relative. Experience. It ain't relative. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, no, I'm doing all right, man. Uh, just another average week, man. Just uh, you know, kind of doing my usual work thing. Nothing going on too crazy. Took the kid out uh, over the weekend. Had a good weekend with her. So, hey, man, it's all been good. I, I've been I've been kind of on a, like gaming detox for a little while though. I will say it. that, um, man, Final Fantasy 16 really did me in, bro. Like that that I, I'm not gonna lay into that too much because I don't want that to be my shtick on the show or anything. But like <laughs> that really put a like bad taste in my mouth where I had to like walk away from games for a little bit and kind of like I just started watching. T- I watched the The Witcher season three oh, I, binged, I have to watch that i binged the, the part it's like in it's like a part one of yeah, the yeah, season yeah. three um it's not that good man yeah I it's heard. not that good at I all heard. so nothing's coming close to that first season it's not man it's not it just feels like everything i love is letting me down <laughs> that's what it feels like right now final fantasy hurt me Geralt hurt me Henry Cavill hurt me, and Pablo always hurts me every every time we hit record uh, with his verbal well, abuse. I'm a, hurf, I'm a hurtful person at heart, so and, and a grunter at heart. Apparently, mm-hmm. just got a lot going for you in life. That's like my great. heart has a lot of conditions. Okay, well, that's that's kind of worrisome, man. Like you, yeah. you gotta go to see, you gotta go see a specialist. Oh, I see what you because 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 a heart condition. No, no, I don't got right. the artery blocking ones. I just got All the right. ones that block my brain cells. Oh, okay. I don't even know where to go from here, Pablo. Why don't you just 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 take over and tell us what's on the docket for this week's episode, man. Oh, are we recording? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this episode, it is my turn to give you uh, my final thoughts on Final Fantasy 16. I promise they won't be as scathing as Marco's. Uh, but was he right? We're going to answer those. And is Marco playing a fucking Kirby game? Mm-hmm. We're going we're gonna to answer that as well. We also 
we're answering all the questions here. We answer, we're also going to uh, answer the question, how horny is Master Detective Archives rank code? Uh, the answer will not shock you. Uh, and Take-Two may have confirmed some long-standing rumors and his Final Fantasy 16, a financial flop. And we run out the show with our Q2 reviews. What games are timeless, great times, good times, rough times, or terrible times? We answer all of that shit and much more <laughs> in today's cool down time. Marco, take it away. I just want to say before we, we, we transition into the first segment of the show, you did a fan, you did a fantastic job merging the words final and fantasy together to, to make the word final... You said fantasy or something like that. I don't know what you did there. But hey you, man, you, you just hearing things. You just got truncating. hearing conditions in your heart. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, what a show this is going to be, ladies and gentlemen. Speaking of terrible times, that's what I'm having right now. But let's jump in <laughs> to this segment dedicated to the games we've been playing since you last heard from us. That is loadouts. Let's get started. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, bro. So obviously last week was kind of a Final Fantasy meltdown from your boy. I uh, mm-hmm. I went I went uh, ham hock on that game uh, for quite a bit. Uh, did not have a great time with it, but uh, you've still been chipping away at this game. Uh, even though I told you to get away, you said I, I like the abuse, and you, you, you stuck yeah. with it. Uh, but I'm curious to get your thoughts, Pablo, as, as you've made more headway in the game. Where are you at with it, and how are you feeling? I think what you did for me is actually recalibrate my expectations. That's why I've continued to play it. And I will say up front, I am not as bullish on it as you are. Obviously, you have a lot of the Final Fantasy fandom. I won't call it baggage, but you have a lot of the Final Fantasy fandom like kind of expectations. And I think that's fair because it is a mainline Final Fantasy game. And to that point, you've reset the expectations. I think a lot of what you said last week let's get that clear, is very correct in that way. It just, I guess, it depends on how you weigh those things against other things, right? Obviously, what your expectations are and the execution of certain things that 16 did just wasn't enough for you to feel like they've bypassed the RPG elements enough to where it's like, okay, this is what I want from Final Fantasy from now. So that's that. That's not what this is. I think what you did, again, is recalibrate this to so now i know what i'm getting into like what this is not it's not a comprehensive final fantasy experience it is more like a final fantasy adjacent thing like uh, like the Paradise game. How, how, what was that game called? Oh, um, uh, Strangers of Paradise. Strangers of Paradise. I would argue Strangers of Paradise has better combat than than, than Final <laughs> Fantasy 16, to be quite honest with you. But in terms of like, if there was a pendulum of quality, this is definitely swinging towards uh, Strangers of Paradise more than Final Fantasy 15 even, if we're just going to talk about the latest mainline release. Uh, but my thing is, is... Uh, the story itself has devolved into into nonsense, just like you've mentioned. But really, the other thing is that there's unnecessary, unnecessary complexity that's been uh, uh, dropped on top of it. They introduce a character later on whose only purpose is to deliver exposition of a new wrinkle that they decided to make up about the state of the world at that point in time. And it is just so frustrating because now I have to sit there and I have to have a history lesson just so I can understand what the next mission is, which is complete bullshit. And it just doesn't, it's, it's, it's frustrating because they started so headstrong and in terms of like what they were trying to do, obviously the Game of Thrones inspirations are there. But that all got lost somewhere where they they lost the thread, and it just it just they haven't gotten it back, and I'm sad 
to know that that's probably never going to be the case, right? I think at this point, that's what the game is. And I want to say, I've never experienced a game that felt so ex- expensive and yet so cheap at the same time. Like, the world feels so <laughs> bland and empty, yet it's beautifully rendered and has zero reason a reason given to you to actually re- explore it. it. had some head-scratching level design philosophy. The linearity of Final Fantasy 16 does not bother me. It's just the fact that they implement these old tricks, wooden boxes and wooden carts to guide you through a path. Oh, like when, invisible walls kind of things? Yeah. yeah. Demon's Souls figured out level design in 2008. This is a massive 2000, This is a massive 2023 AAA game in one of the franchises that are the most uh, renowned in all of gaming. And you're, This is the bullshit you're going to throw at us. I, I have a friend of the show, Justin, bless him. He's enjoying the game. That's great for him. He told me that I was being too hard on the game. And I would say that I'm not. I would say that this is top five, top three, biggest franchises of all time in terms of the history of the IP and what it means to gamers and I think that I have expectations for this game I know that not all of them are perfect 13 is is probably one of the worst Final Fantasy games of all time 15 has its issues but there's something specifically with 15 and and even 13 to a certain extent that has certain aspects that keep that RPG uh, uh, the ethos of Final Fantasy alive in some sense and that's all gone here and the the implementation of these cheap tricks really doesn't i don't get it head scratching to me because the the i, I still have I still have issues with the map system in terms of how you travel that could have been just so easily uh rendered by just just throwing that away completely and just giving you the uh, the next quest just right there and there and then go into that cutscene you don't have to just hit x to travel to the spot that just gonna go into a cutscene anyway it's just like it's just these really 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 weird takes on on the certain things uh but ultimately for me um i am enjoying the story moments uh not that they tie in perfectly with other stuff like i'm still kind of excited about joshua and 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 meeting clive and, and that interaction i'm still kind of interested to see what the outcome is when he finally reaches his mother you know uh and things like that about the other icons that are out there uh so those kind of little things are still keeping me in the game uh and the combat Yes, I think now I've gotten to a point where it feels a little repetitive and just a little, just just a little too samey for me. But I'm in, I'm right now in a position where I've changed my uh, special abilities mm-hmm. to kind of keep that a little fresh. And I've taken out that ability, that uh, belt that you have that you just one button presses kind of gives you all the moves that you can do. There's like oh, a special yeah. belt. Yeah. I took that out so I can be a little bit more, uh, I guess. I, not that I had it on for a long time because I did take it on even before last episode, but I use that to kind of give myself a little bit more strategy in my head when I'm actually fighting some of these bad guys. But honestly, that, that doesn't even really matter. But ultimately, that's kind of where I stand with Final Fantasy, where I I, I saw it, it's it's it has these weird moments of brilliance. There's a moment uh, towards the latter half of the game that you're in an inn, and there's these camera movements that that go from Clive to another character following the character. Oh, to I know what cutscene you're talking about. That, yeah, that shit was fucking amazing. Like that one one take kind of cutscene, just an amazing cinematic moment that just gets thrown away and never really used again like mm-hmm. that. It's it, it's just some weird stuff like that where moments of brilliance are scattered throughout this whole game, but they're so few few and far between that they really don't 
amount to anything. So I will probably finish Final Fantasy 16. I would be very surprised if it makes my top 10 of the year, uh, just because so much competition out there this year. Uh, it isn't a complete and horror shit show, in, in my opinion, uh, but it is a game that leaves a lot to be desired. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you can be, take away in terms of a con, because it is final fantasy after all so yeah that's where i'm at yeah i mean i I totally get it and you know everyone's gonna have um a a different like tolerance level for what 16 does but i think it's clear you know uh not to kind of run through my old points from last week again but it's very clear um that this game's design felt a bit hodgepodgey to me like it was pieced together where absolutely you have a lot of like really cool stuff going on then you have this other design this other design mantra that comes in and then you also have these one-off things that are cool but you only get them one time like that kind mm-hmm. of a cutscene that, that, that you yep. saw you don't see anything like that again before or after this game uh before or after that moment i mean yeah right, it, yeah. it is so it's it's just one of those things where it's like well you know there's no consistency here whatsoever the only thing that you can count on is that the game is going to probably not do what you're hoping it's going to do in, in in any moment um and that kind of works against it because it's like it's like going to a restaurant and like getting full off of complimentary bread <laughs> and then you know and then all you really have yet you know and then you can only eat like one or two bites of your actual dinner that you ordered right, right, right. that's what this game feels like to me it feels like what you want like by the time you get to it you feel so full of stuff that doesn't matter in the yep. big grand scheme of things that it's like well no i just just box it up man take this thing home you know like Honestly, so yeah it, that's exactly it, how it, feels. it just never that feeling just never goes away along with the other problems that i mentioned last week that i don't want to yeah. dwell on but yeah i mean I, I get where you're coming from but i'll be curious to see you know kind of how your your journey with it goes as you end up um hopefully getting a chance to roll credits on it before things kind of uh kick up again um in the next few it's weeks gonna, with the new I, releases yeah there, there's no way that i'm gonna probably finish final fantasy like in a week or anything like that it's definitely a game that i'm chipping away at just because i am enjoying certain aspects of it there's a come there's an absolute possibility that i completely just fall off of it and just never go back to it Mm -hmm. specifically because of my next game uh but uh that's where we are let me get into that real quick Uh, like last week i have the same two games on my uh on my list so this one is master detective archives rain code i want i have a little bit more time into it a lot more time into it and i kind of want to give you guys a quick descriptor of what you so you can keep in mind as to what this game really is yeah it it just just take what what uh what chunsoft has done with i the somnian files infuse that with persona 5 style dungeons or at least that idea and then make it unreal reasonably horny is basically <laughs> what this game is I, 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 because it's all here let me let me give you a quick breakdown you're a detective for this yep. organization you go and you solve crimes you're you have amnesia you don't know what's going on but you gotta have amnesia you gotta have that amnesia that trope is there you know oh yeah yeah you, you go and you and and give you the most basic with those without spoilers you go into a crime thing you, you either experience the crime or you come into the crime uh and you collect information that become either uh detective ranking points that you use to upgrade your player or they become what they call um uh, they become truth keys or or, or uh, uh, mystery keys, uh, and basically what those keys do is when you go into the dungeon, this is where you or or what they call the labyrinth, the memory labyrinth. Uh, you go in that, and that's where you 
are solving the case itself. So you go into the real world, you collect all the information, you go into this dungeon, and that's where the Persona 5 palaces come into play a little bit. And basically there, you do different kind of mini games that help you solve the case. There's uh, one specific one is this boss fight that they throw statements at you and you dodge the statements and every time you have a key that can refute the specific statement you slash the key and that's how you're going back and forth with yourself mm. in terms of what's real and what's not real and everything you've collected and all that is 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 amazing because it is so fucking different it sounds uh, trippy as hell too it's trippy as hell my only complaint about it specifically is when you're in those uh in those labyrinths it's weird because it definitely has the inspiration of the persona 5 like mind palaces or heart palaces uh, but it's very linear you just walk straight and you reach a, a, a point where you go left or right or there's a mini game, so that's not really well thought out. If they would have kind of expanded that a little bit to be a little bit more of a dungeon, this would have been like one hell of a game. It's still a very good game, don't get me wrong. Um, I will say though, uh, those things go on for a little too long, and at the very end of each case, there's an additional thing you have to do that you basically recount the entire things that you did through the entire uh, investigation and and uh, solving the case. And it's played for shock. Like, who is the killer? You already know who the killer is because you've solved the case already. And adding that in addition to every uh, book ending, every, uh, every case is a little bit of annoying because it just extends the game more than it should be extended. But, but other than that, the art style continues to be absolutely amazing. You're in the Konai Ward, which is perpetually raining because of something that the, uh, an organization did. And it's always raining. It's, it's super cool, super nori. That's still all happening. I will say, though, my cons with the game uh, lie more on just some visual stuff is a little muddy because it is a Switch game. It's not as sharp as it should be. The game loop, again, is unique, but it does. It's too it's too long. Uh, like I told you, the Persona-style dungeons are a little bit too um, drawn out uh, or, or not fleshed out at all. Uh, and then, obviously, I want to say this. I'm not a prude. <laughs> but the amount of times that they referenced her, uh, this partner you have, her anime jiggly titties, is it's just so abundant. Uh, and, and, and lines like, I am so horny for clues, or look at my breast for eight seconds and you'll be fine. And then things like, the train was shaking. You know what else was shaking in my blouse? And when your character completely sidesteps, it's oh, like, oh, no. you're not going to talk about my boobs? Like, stuff like that. Uh, and then just as a mini game that you have to break this barrel she's in to expose her. She's in a bikini, but even after you expose her, she'll do a pose where it's either like a doggy style pose or something where she's showing her body. It's just, it's just so overtly horny that it's distracting. Your player, the per the person you play, uh, um, is also distracted by it and also making comments like, yo, chill, you know, tell her to relax. But even though it's played for jokes, it's just so, it permeates the game so many times. The most serious moment where these people, I'll give you a, a slight spoiler. There's a case where people get burnt alive. Dark shit. She'll interject with, oh my god, I can't believe this happened, and then a joke about how horny she is, or about her tits. It, it's it's so 
crazy that I'm like, this whole game is a mindfuck from the tonal shifts that are absolutely mind-drawing, that are like death scenes that happen that are make me mildly uncomfortable, but then their jokes are being uh, 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 told at the expense of the dead person by this <laughs> partner of yours, and then the whole sexuality of it. The tonal shifts are jarring, but the sexual stuff is so much it's so abundant even more so than i Insomnia files specifically the second game that's also very horny that's that crazy it's, it's just it just throws you off again it's not like they're exploiting women it's more like this person is playing it up for jokes because she's not really a person or a girl she's a ghost and that form she takes she's interested in her own body because of the form that she's decided to take type of thing but it's it's too much it gets to a point where i'm like all right i'm gonna put the game down for a little bit because i'm i'm in it i'm in it man the the the, the story's happening I, i'm a detective i'm solving this crime and all of a sudden i i go through a five minute conversation about her and her her, her jiggly tits uh so that's, that's really unfortunate bro um, it is unfortunate hold up, i'm gonna it, go to the e-shop real quick be right back <laughs> it is unfortunate because of how much it's played for last and how unfunny it is as well so but other than that the basis of this game is trippy as fuck but it is so it's so interesting it's so fun and the characters that are, are in the game are so interesting and so well written that i just keep coming back for more i promise it's not about the tits promise well, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you'll you know you'll you'll enjoy it by the time you roll credits, and there'll be lots of good memories for you to oh, think about. Wait a minute, he said he uh, said for years memories, to come. Oh, sorry, no, yeah, yeah. yeah um, hopefully, I'll remember it by the end of the year, year. It'll jiggle my mind. Okay, don't talk about yours being jiggled at all. I don't know. Well, nobody my, needs my that. My mind's jiggly. All right. Yeah. Well, that's another reason to go to the doctor again. Uh, <laughs> good God. All right. Let me what go you ahead. Got, man? You got me, some interesting shit. Yeah, let me tag in, man. As I said at the top of the show, um, Final Fantasy 16 really put me in a funk because nothing was really. Uh, I, I was in a very apathetic mood. I think that's what it was. I, I I was really let down, and I felt like you know what? If I try to play anything that I'm looking forward to or that I'm excited about now, I'm probably just going to be a bitter asshole about it. So let me just hold off. So <laughs> I did get. Um, Jedi Survivor, but admittedly, in the interest of not wanting to come into it with like a bad, a pessimistic attitude, I did not play it yet. I purposely decided, let me just let me let me get over the hump here, and let me come back to it when I'm ready because I, I got it. It's not going anywhere. Let me give it a few days. So what I did instead was I was like, you know what? Let me go to something I know I love, and That's what I do, uh, I went to Deus Ex: Mankind Divided. Um, we talked about this series all, all all throughout the show's history. You and you and me, Pablo, are both huge fans of Deus Ex. Uh, Been last year again. Yeah, man, and and uh, you know, Mankind Divided, uh, thankfully on Xbox, um, has the benefit of FPS boost, mm -hmm. so it is pristine um, on on Series X to play it. And and I hadn't tried it yet um, with the FPS boost. And it's, it's like a revelation. I mean, I attempted to play Mankind Divided on my PlayStation 5. Um, and that didn't work out too well. Thank you, Jim Ryan. Asshole. Jim Ryan. Oh, um, fucking dropping the ball. Um, but you know, I did get a chance to play and you know what? Um, it, I, it actually spurred me to also download human revolution because I have the 360 version on my Series X as well. And I decided, you know what, I want to settle my own personal like inner debate of which game is better. Because in my heart, Human Revolution has always been my favorite game of the two. Right. 
it just has that i mean it's 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 terribly outdated and it's even more outdated in 2023 trying to play it now is hard i ain't gonna lie but it always had that special place in my heart of like really being that that saving grace for me when metal gear was out here you know letting marrow marry uh, a guy with diarrhea you know it came through <laughs> You know, but he cute. That's the problem. Yeah, that's, that's all he had going for. But um, in playing Mankind Divided again, uh, I have I have become comfortable in saying that I think Mankind Divided is a much better game than Human Revolution. Um, and I have you know accordingly I've adjusted that on my my favorite games of all time spreadsheet, which I literally have. Uh, and I've, I've ranked it above human revolution for the first time ever. It's a little weird, but I, I just can't deny that the storytelling, the side quests, the main quests, uh, the gameplay loop in, uh, mankind divided is, is so far and away an evolution over, um, human revolution that it's, it's just undeniable. I'll always love like the, the yellow tinted, uh, cyberpunk Detroit, uh, setting in Human Revolution, and it'll always be a special game to me. And it's it's still very high up on my all time list for sure. But I think Mankind Divided is just a different. It's just it's just a different level of quality entirely. So I've I've finally settled a, a very long, uh, long and battle tested debate uh, with myself on which game is better. Do you feel the same way though, or are you more Human Revolution one, Mankind Divided two? Yeah, yeah. Last year, same thing. I was just going through through the bullshit, the doldrums of, of just bad games of 2022 and threw on Mankind Divided fully fully expecting to kind of jump off it eventually, went through it, beat it. And yeah, I think it solidified last year that I think Mankind Divided is ultimately the better game and also a masterclass in restructuring through development because they cut like 50% of that game out. Yeah. And the way that they put that game together to ship it out, it's still it's still excellent. Yeah, uh, the you end don't is feel a little it bit kind of like a little bit left of desire, just a little bit. But the way that they did that, you couldn't even tell. Like when that report came out, I was like, what? Yeah. I, I couldn't tell. Yeah. If, if that Amazing. report never came out, then I would have never known. Yep. I would have never known. But uh, yeah, yeah. So I've been playing a little bit of that. I don't have any intention of finishing it because from here on, between, you know, oh, yeah. finally starting Jedi. Crazy. Then Oxenfree 2 and Exo, uh, Exo Primal, as weird as that game is, it's coming to Game Pass. Why not? You know? Sure. So, yeah. you know, I just won't be able to finish it. But it was nice to kind of go back to familiar territory. Um, what was very unfamiliar for me was buying a Kirby game. But that is exactly what your boy did uh, in having my daughter. Uh, over the weekend, we uh, she's hey, that's quite the best one. I, as I've said, she's quite the gamer, man. And uh, we've been burning through these games left and right. She finished um, Sackboy: A Big Adventure. She finished uh, New Super Lucky Tale um, on Xbox. She's been putting Impressive. in work, man. And so I've been trying to find that next that next thing. But a lot of the games I've been trying have been too hard for her because she's almost she's like four going on five in like a, a month, not even a couple weeks really. And so she's Ooh. still learning the ropes, right? But Kirby turned out to be clutch for this kid. And I, I'm here on this show as somebody who went on a pretty epic tangent about Kirby being trash or, or, or mediocre uh, many moons ago. I'm here to apologize to my boy <laughs> Kirby Curb. I'm here, I'm here to say my bad, okay? Because Cur I, I finally understand Kirby now. And, and oh, I'm going to yeah. blame Nintendo for a little bit of it, Pablo, because I think Nintendo doesn't really do a, a good enough job of marketing this game for kids when this is a very kiddie series in that it Absolutely. is it is it is bonehead easy. Like they have like 
like super easy modes in in the game where it's it's almost impossible to die, which takes out ninety percent of the frustration of playing a game with a kid. Um, you know, and it, it the design of the game is is understandable for for literally kids of all ages. Uh, I can I can tell you that as a parent, there's nothing more annoying than playing a game that's made for kids that is not made for kids. Well, and there's like, how can you possibly think my child knows how to do this, this, and that? It's just not that's, realistic. That's and, how but I feel a, about Pokemon games. Oh, a lot of games do that, bro. And it's like, dude, how do I teach my five-year-old how to, you know, cross over that lava pit and do a triple jump and then figure out this weird-ass puzzle that you thought would be fun for them to solve. Like, they know how to do that. You know, like, it, it. this is a series now where I understand it's all about just cute colors, vibrant, you know, nature, and very easy combat, and she is in love with it. So we've been playing a good amount of Forgotten Land, and... Um, I gotta say, I, I I stand corrected on the game because now I I see what it's for. You know, as as a thirty eight year old playing this by myself, I don't think I'd be able to stomach it. But in having that bonding opportunity with my kid and doing something that's easy, and she feels yeah. empowered and she's excited because you get to she gets to eat the the bad guys and then become them. Like it it all started to click about Kirby. Like oh, that's okay. That's what that's what it's all about. I, it's not about me anymore. It's right. about them. You know, it's about the kids. I have another. I have another recommendation in that series. If she becomes like a Kirby fan, I would look at Kirby Star Allies because that's like that two D platformer. Yeah. Where you're just kind well, there's of another one that through. there's another one that came out. It was like a remake of a of another game, uh, and it's also two D. And it, she loves that demo. So that might be the next one on deck too with yeah. Star Allies as well. So yeah. Yeah, because Star Allies is like I played that game and I was like, oh, because it's so fucking easy, but. That's definitely a game that she would probably love because the same thing you you power up you get different power yeah. ups but it's all about like go, going from point A to point B mm-hmm. as fast as you can and just battling through it. It's really oh, dope yeah. actually for yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. Kirby, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, dude, bro. But is it is it a boy? Is it a, is it a, is it a is it a man? Is it a I, it? I, it's a. I don't want to misgender a, this thing now. It's a it. I it think. is an it. Okay. Yeah. My daughter, my Japan daughter loves you, man. Fictional character in the main doesn't say. Yeah. Oh, he he first appeared in Kirby. Mm. He's a he. He's a he. Sir, sir. I don't see no dick. Okay, well, you ain't supposed to look down there, man. <laughs> why? Are you, why are you package checking? All right. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want Kirby to be packing it in a damn Nintendo game. Then it just makes. Ugh. That's the that's the real forgotten land. You should be yeah, not thinking I'm about saying, it all. Yeah, uh, yeah. But let's go ahead and move on, but man. He can, he can get any. He just can morph into. He can morph into a whole penis. All right. See, uh, I was trying to move on, and you had to get that one last one. And I'm just and saying, I don't, Kirby is versatile. Ladies like Kirby. Like Kirby. Oh, oh God. All right. <laughs> Nobody wants to get curbed down. Uh, hey. Okay. Hey yo, come on. If the kids you that listen to the oh, show. that's all it takes. <laughs> not that not that he shifts into a whole ass penis. Now you want to gaslight me? This man is I'm a whole mess. I'm talking about anatomy. You're talking about getting Kirby down. <laughs> All right. If you like what you're Watch hearing so far, if you like what you're hearing so far, that is my voice, not Pablo's. <laughs> please consider subscribing to our show. We drop new episodes every Monday uh, on all streaming services, plus audio versions of our episodes on YouTube as well. And if you're feeling extra cool, which I think you are, follow us on Twitter. Instagram and threads at its cooldown time. 
Um, now, let's go ahead and keep the show rolling with the new segment that, of the show that we call Hit Points. Let's do it. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, Pablo. So we have two uh, Hit Point news items this week. Uh, not a not a particularly crazy week in news, uh, to be sure, but uh, nevertheless, some interesting topics to discuss. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your uh, news item this week? Yeah, I mean, Take Two, the publisher behind massive IPs like Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, held a financial conference call where a lot of interesting things were revealed. During this conference call, Take Two announced that they will be releasing two remasters by March 2024. That news comes right alongside a leak that Red Dead Redemption remaster had been raided in Korea. There's also been long-standing rumors that GTA 4 was getting a remaster, and that Red Dead Redemption 2 was finally set to get its next-gen upgrade. Those projects were seemingly scrapped by Rockstar because they wanted to focus on Grand Theft Auto 6 development. But something clearly changed here because now they're promising these two uh, releases. Uh, In that conference call, they also said that there's going to be groundbreaking games releasing in 2025. This is possibly hinting at Grand Theft Auto 6 release year. Marco, how do we feel about this news? Are we excited to see that Grand Theft Auto is potentially, uh, Grand Theft Auto 6 is potentially coming out in 2025? And are we looking forward to any of the possible remasters that uh, they can produce? And which two games are you most excited for uh, if they do uh, release those remasters? Marco, what do you got? Um, This is an interesting one because we covered the news story back when they they had decided to kind of pull everybody into GTA 6 development. And that was kind of bittersweet uh, you know for for you i know as a red dead fan and now it seems like they've kind of yeah and gta 4 which they pretend like doesn't exist um which i dabbled into by the way i forgot to mention that in my loadouts i did i did play that 360 version runs at 60 frames per second bro that's mm-hmm. pretty cool um so yeah but uh, nevertheless um here's the thing i think take two looked at their calendar and saw well if g you know if gta really is coming out in 2025 we need to put out something between now and then. Yeah. And so I think that they kind of probably doubled back and realized, okay, we, we do need to get something out there uh, to make some money. And sure. so maybe maybe the all hands on deck for GTA 6 was maybe just a temporary move uh, just to kind of get over a hump or reach a certain milestone or two. And maybe now they're feeling comfortable about reassigning those other resources back to uh, these these uh, remaster efforts, which is good news. Um, as far as Red Dead goes, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm excited about it. I, I'm just not a huge fan of Red Dead overall. Um, that's more of a Pablo thing than a Marco thing. I'm happy for the fans, though. Um, I will say that I would love... I, I would be more excited about getting a next-gen upgrade for Red Dead Redemption 2 than I would be getting a Red Dead Redemption remaster. I just don't care enough about the first Red Dead to, all that much, if I'm being honest. Um, whereas I've actively tried to go back to 2, and I had to kind of stop because I'm like, eh, I just wish this was kind of at 60, um, and, and I'm not getting that here. Um, I would really love GTA 4 to get some love, though. I, you know, in, in dabbling in the 360 version, um, a, a remarkable amount of that game still holds up, Yeah, which I was kind of surprised about. Um, it needs some work, for sure. Um, Visually. Visually, yeah, um, but it's not. It wasn't as bad off as I thought. I think it would be very palatable in 2023 or whenever they would hypothetically release it. So, I would yeah. be most excited for a GTA 4 and a Red Dead Redemption 2. 
uh, upgrade. Yeah, yeah, and to, to kind of double back on the what changed, I think what changed is exactly that. I think that they've pinpointed exactly when they want to release Grand Theft Auto 6, and now they know they, what time they have in between, and that's, these games are going to fill the gap. I think for sure that we're going to get that Red Dead Redemption remaster. I think it's the game that needs the most love. As a person who just put like 35, 40 hours into, Grand, into Red Dead Redemption 2 earlier this year, I think that that game, you're right, does need 60 frames, but visually that game is still kind of stunning in a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I would want them to full on use those resources to go 60. I don't know if that's something that the Xbox can just do on its own in terms of how they can calculate that. But I think that if they're really going to go in there and put some resources into this stuff. I would like to see a Red Dead Redemption remaster, fully expecting that they're not going to remake it or it isn't going to change the way it looks or anything like that. Uh, too much, anyway. I just want a little bit more sharper, uh, a little bit better you know, image quality uh, and, and 60 frames. And I'm sure that game can do that beautifully. Uh, and then, obviously, I would want a Grand Theft Auto 4 remaster. I want this to be a little bit more comprehensive. Uh, not Again, not a remake standard of it, but just visually 4K, 60 frames, a little bit work on some mod- on some character models, uh, things like that. Because I think that this game benefits from that stuff because it's been it's so pared down compared to, to Grand Theft Auto, San Andreas, and even Five, where it's you know it's really about the story, you know, and 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 and, and the relationship between Nico Roman and all that stuff, and, and just everything you do in that game is not a lot to do, admittedly, in that game outside of certain heists and certain story missions in terms of like going to this and eating a burger going to the gym working out like there's not a lot of that so systems wise i think that it's 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 a little bit easier to work with and i hope that this game finally gets the love it deserves because like narco said it's a game that they almost pretend it doesn't exist and and my money you know i think vice city holds that in my heart in terms of like nostalgia but i think in terms of what i really look at as a the best Grand Theft Auto game for me has always been four. I think they they meshed the open world and the story of that stuff in a way that's it's spectacular in just about every single way. And I would love to see that game get a nice, a comprehensive remaster. Uh, and I hope that's what happens, man. I, I really hope that either by the end of the year or, or early next year we get that uh, we get that game because I would love it. But then again, you know, being being a huge Red Dead Redemption Two fan, it's in my top ten games of all time. Getting a sixty frames, a little clean up here and there. Fuck yeah! I'll and it might that. get like you. Might, you got to think like maybe ray tracing, maybe yeah, or yeah. a new lighting it's, system, new effects, exactly, new features, I mean, I, new content. You never know. You never know. Like I said, that game is stunning. When you're walking out in these fields and the sun is coming down, and it's just absolutely incredible. Imagine with ray tracing and a little bit more of cleanup in terms of visual fidelity. I mean, it could it could really probably become one of the best looking games currently with, with a little bit of that cleanup so I, I i'm in the position here that i can't lose unless they do a fucking bully which <laughs> i will fight somebody for why that why did you gasp uh, like that because um, it bothers me don't it bothers do that. me i have bothers i have bothers in my heart all right you also have right. irritable bowel syndrome as well oh well, um, that's not a secret yeah um, now, in keeping with tradition, Pablo, we can't talk about Red Dead Redemption 2 without you doing the usual for the fans of the show. Please, if you don't mind, say the magic word. Black lung? <laughs> Why would you frame it as a question, though? Black lung? Because I wasn't sure if you wanted the That's black the lung or you wanted show, show. No, I want the black lung. Yeah, black um, lung, baby. All right. <laughs> Nobody ever said black lung baby in the world, ever. No one roots for that. It's not, it's not on a shirt. It's not on a bumper sticker. People don't. 
hype up Black Lung like that. Man, well, shout out Black Lung in my heart. Man, know? I was ready to say shout out to Tuberculosis. Like there was a hey, friend well, of his. Shout out to TB. I mean, the downfall <laughs> one of the greatest characters of all <laughs> time, Arthur Morgan. Shout out to TB. Michael <laughs> couldn't do it, but TB did it, baby. Let's go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> ain't no good with a straight face oh yeah. my god all right this man is a mess okay let's get let's get to the second hit point news item which has no tb included at, at all but the game well, the game is uh you know not not panning out too well but pablo nevertheless final fantasy 16 has shipped three million units in its first three days uh comparatively speaking though these numbers do trail behind final fantasy 7 remake which shipped 3.5 million units in its first three days and it also trails behind final fantasy 15's 5 million 5 million units in one day although obviously that released on xbox as well which may explain uh, the little uh, hike in numbers there nevertheless um Japanese financial analysts are concerned about how many more copies Final Fantasy 16 can truly sell in Japan without a deep price cut. Making matters worse, Pablo, its second week sales have plummeted by 90%, uh, with the total sales that week of being only 37,000 in all of Japan compared to its first week, which I think was in the 300s, if I'm not mistaken. Many analysts uh, blame the decline on what they've called advanced publicity and they also claim that final fantasy 16 is too far removed from final fantasies of the past so question is pablo are these sales figures shocking to you and does this indicate that final fantasy 16 might just be a failure it's a little shocking in that regardless of how we feel about this game it is still a mainline final fantasy uh, game and yes, 15 did come out on Xbox and it sold five million. But th- that five million figure was done in one single day. Uh, and considering the hype behind this game and considering all the uh, all the marketing Sony has thrown behind it, it is a little bit crazy to me that three million because it, three million does include uh, also uh, physical and. Uh, digital sales which is a little bit kind of crazy to think about but um well i don't think that just, means digital does it they, i mean yeah, shipping units so, shipping units no, you can't so ship digital units, units yeah but i the reports has the units shipped and the in the uh digital sold uh, as one unit so three million total mm. according to to square enix themselves uh because i, 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 I looked that up myself i was like okay. oh that was a little weird you can look it up as i talk here but i just feel like it just it, it is quite shocking, and I think that when it's all said and done, a lot of people are going to feel like Marco feels when it comes to the actual Final Fantasy just being too far removed, like a, a step too far, and maybe that's going to either push people who are Fairweather fans away from from it, or just people who were planning to buy it not plan at all because they're, they're not, they don't want no part of that. But is it a failure? I don't know if it's a failure. I, they have a lot of smart people over there, analysts, and they should they probably saw this coming. There are reports early on about the 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 pre order sales not being where they wanted them to be uh but three million the way that square enix kind of celebrated three million they were kind of like excited about it you know i mean what else can they do but square enix is also famously known for having games selling 10 million copies and then be like this is an abject failure tumor raider so you know there's a lot of that shit going Could on you just so. say tumor raider that would be terrible if you said tumor raider 
I did the Tomb Raider. Oh no, TB and Tumors today in one episode. Wow, simply <laughs> ass podcast. This is the sickest podcast but, in the game. But yeah, is it shocking? Yes. Is it a failure? I think it's too early to say specifically. I, you know, this game is critically loved, and people who love it do love it. So I think ultimately, maybe it can make its goal if that goal is reachable and it isn't some crazy ass goal of this needs to make 50 million units push in order for it to be successful uh but we'll see where it, where it ends up as of right now it's a little concerning but it's a it's an abject failure no that's not the case i'm not gonna be as nice uh i'm about to roast final fantasy 16's boots off one more time <laughs> this game is a failure it is a failure and and this is why i feel that way it, and, and i'm gonna take i'm taking my own personal experience with the game out of the equation and i'm i'm looking at this from an analytic perspective if these analysts are saying that the only way this game is going to reach a certain number of sales is if they dramatically drop the price of this game quick fast and in a hurry because this game just (laughs) drop that that is bad news i'm sorry for you to lose 90 percent of your momentum with your week over week sales you're down to the thirty. You're down to thirty-seven thousand copies sold in two weeks. In, in week two, that's not a good sign at all. That tells nope. me that Japan, by and large, is not feeling this new kind of Final Fantasy. I think they're right. I think that there is a problem with this game being too far removed from previous Final Fantasies. It was one thing for it to be more Game of Thronesy, right? But that could have been tolerable had you maintained a lot of the essence of what makes Final Fantasy Final Fantasy, and they elected to not do that. And Japan seems to be collectively saying, we're good. And that's that's scary. That's scary because we know Square and we know how they are in the present day is is very much by the numbers. Like, this fell short of sales expectations. That fell short of... And yes, are, are there, is their perception of that skewed to some degree? Yes, probably, sure. But going from... Man, three, three, three million units is nothing to sneeze at. But when you see the decline, that is very, very telling. And they also mentioned advanced publicity was a reason why. And I think, and this is a, it's a weird phrasing, but what I think they're saying here is the way this game was marketed did not have a positive effect on the community, right? Right. This game had 79 trailers. It had that giant state of play. Like they gave away what this game was so often and so early that I think a lot of people um, in Japan probably saw the writing on the wall. This is not the Final Fantasy for me and probably said, eh, I'm cool. And that's fine. That's their prerogative. But I think final, I think Square definitely made a mistake of oversaturating uh, and, and over-marketing this game to hell and not leaving it up for people to discover what this game is by playing it themselves. I think what they essentially managed to achieve is they th- this, this first three million shipped, to me what that was is that is every hardcore Final Fantasy fan. And now from well, here on, now we see what the longevity of this game truly is. How do you win over the people that are on the fence? How do you win over people that look at this game and go, ah, man, that, ain't, that don't look like the, that. I'd rather just get Final Fantasy VII. How do you win those people over? And I don't think they have an answer for that right now without cutting well, the price. And, and the way 
And the way they're talking about it almost makes it seem like they're making excuses for it. Because this is the official Final Fantasy 16 page that says, We're delighted to announce that we've shipped and digitally sold 3 million copies of Final Fantasy 16 on Final Fa- on PlayStation 5. Thank you for your support. That way they can put on the graphic 3 million copies sold when in fact it's dig- it's digital sold Digitally and shipped. combined and with shipped. Yeah. So th- the way they're talking about it just seems like oh they're they they're definitely it. being yeah they're they're marketing that in a weird way. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, that that's when I think about it that way they're in trouble. They're in trouble. And, and I'm going to say, think, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm cutting you off. I go think, ahead. I just think that they've, they jumped the gun because when you look at Resident Evil and you get the Resident Evil remakes, gives you the, um, gives you the, the leeway to do Resident Evil 8 in that first person mode because now you have the classics R2 and R3 and R4 remade there for you to play. I think that they're going about it in terms of they're trying to do the same play, but they jumped the gun a little bit because obviously Final Fantasy 7 remake, the rumors about 9, the rumors about 10. When those games come out, they'll be more traditional turn-based. So hopefully this is a lesson and then maybe going forward the, the mainline Final Fantasy games are going to be more appealing broadly in that'll be a little more action based and that would have been okay if they would have set it up that way but they literally changed what we know about final fantasy right in the middle of them trying to remake these games so it that 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 didn't pan out like it panned out for capcom unfortunately i'm gonna go a step further and i'm gonna say that if if this is as grisly as it looks sales wise and again, this is all by Final Fantasy standards. Three million units for most other games is is kind of like a good a good thing. But I will say that this has the potential of severing or compromising the relationship between Sony and Square Enix because yeah. Sony probably wouldn't be satisfied that they blew a bag on get locking up exclusivity for this. And the game is already limping right now for sales already. So they can't be happy. Square might not be happy because they invested in making this a PlayStation 5 exclusive when they could have cast a wider net by putting it out on Xbox or putting it out at least, or at the very least, a simultaneous launch on PC and PlayStation 5, right? They couldn't do that either. And now they're suffering for it too. So I wouldn't be surprised, Pablo. And this is me kind of tinfoil hatting here a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if this starts to be the beginning of the end of the the little buddy-buddy system between Square and Sony. I could see a future where maybe pre-existing agreements with like the Final Fantasy VII stuff, they still hold that. Or maybe down the road, you know, we start seeing future Final Fantasy titles like the Final Fantasy IX remake or like others start to become multi-platform again. Yeah, my prediction is this time next year, Xbox makes an announcement. Final Fantasy 16 is on Game Pass. Well, that's going to that, depend on the deal with the, PlayStation. Sure, Maybe. sure. But the the rumor is again a year, but then they've always do that, and then it gets extended behind closed doors. I, I guess the only pushback would be, it sounds like Sony bakes in a lot of like, if you do put this on Xbox, you can't put it on Game Pass or our deal. Is yeah, null and void. that's true. That's true. That that's true. That so, that could be it. That, but at the very least, coming on Xbox would be something that Square Enix would want to do to expand their sales anyway. So you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's going to be the case going forward. Uh, but I think this also does, and hopefully, what it does, it kind of has Square kind of step back a little bit and refocus on those remakes. Because I need that ten ASAP. 
All right. I, I need that 10 in my life immediately. Uh, give it to me, please. Is it because of Lulu uh, and her <laughs> memories? <laughs> so many great memories of Lulu. Hey, Listen, man. Marco, I have a little bit of a surprise hit point here. I had this on here. I was contemplating whether or not to bring it up, but I've been obsessed lately. I've had an obsession lately with Baldur's Gate 3. I've been kind of watching videos and kind of hyping myself up for this game, uh, being that it's Larian, Divinity Original uh, Sin 2, and all that good stuff. They make great RPGs. They do. I've never played a Baldur's Gate. I, I, I'm a huge Bio uh, Bioware fan, but never dabbled in, in Baldur's you Gate. You never played Baldur's made... Gate 2 on console? No. no I thought I you did. I don't even know. Ball- Back Bait? in the day? Did I? You might have. Maybe I did, but it I can't remember. It was like remember. a demo for that a lot of people play there that remember it. Then maybe I did. Then maybe I did. Some but Baldur's I just Gate, can't, I think, yeah. It's, yeah, it's not something that I remember. Was it Dark Alliance? Yeah, I, didn't play, I, I think that's that. what it was, yeah. But I don't think that's... I did play Dark Alliance, but I don't know if that's a, a mainline Baldur's Gate. Oh, game. I don't know either. I, I, admittedly, anyway, I don't know that, enough. Yeah. Regardless of that, I, I've been very interested in this just because of the pedigree of Larian, and it's their first go at Baldur's Gate. They literally made Divinity uh, games based on the fact that they were D&D fans, and they wanted to emulate what Baldur's Gate was doing, so they finally got a chance to do that. So I have a question for you, Marco. Okay. Are, are you in any way, shape, or form excited for Baldur's Gate 3? Uh, let me kind of go over some things that were recently announced. Yeah, go for they it. Have a yeah. They have a complex character creator with 11 races, with each race having sub-races as well. They also have... Uh, original characters that are characters that have their own backstory that you can also kind of create, but they are they, their race is already set for like a specific preset story. Characters? Oh. The preset characters that have a, a story and then within that world they exist and people know them. So yeah, be Divinity does like, that. I think. Yeah, Divinity does that. Yeah, one hundred and seventy feet, seventy four hours of cinematics. How many? Uh, one hundred and seventy four hours of cinematics. Uh, I was hoping for one hundred and eighty. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> But obviously not every player will see that in one playthrough. This goes to show how diversified, like how you can go on complete different paths and see different story turns out, all that. You'll miss complete bad guys and, and, and storylines just based on your choices. Average playtime of 75 to 100 hours. Full companions and companion stories. And the dice roll, uh, dice roll skill check mechanic where you have this skill and if you're going to move this bookcase to the right, do you have enough strength? And there's that kind of like um, the most recent game to have done that was Disco Elysium with, with those skill checks. Yeah. Uh, all that is in this game. The unfortunate thing about it and the reason I was kind of like, damn, I'm so upset that it is so it's enticing me that it comes out September 6th, the same day, the same day of Starfield. I, I wonder if PlayStation did that shit on purpose because they pushed up the release date of the PC version to August 3rd, but kept the console version released to uh, September 6th, which why, is... Why would PlayStation have any control over that? Uh, oh, because it's only on PlayStation for right now. Oh, well, I don't know if they would be the ones to pull that string. Right, right, but I, I, I would be interested to see if, if maybe they they requested that or wanted that or something because now they're going head to head with Starfield Day One with their own massive RPG. Interesting. One of the things that actually brought me the the, the kind of obsession is that PCGamer.com wrote Baldur's Gate Three is going to eat Starfield's lunch, and I kind of started like, ah, "Fuck you!" Here and we I started go. going down the the line of Baldur's Gate. I'm like, "Damn, Baldur's Gate's pretty <laughs> dope too." So I don't right. think it's going to do that because they're two different kind of games. Uh, but a question: Let me let me kind of re-ask the question: Are you excited at all about Baldur's Gate Three in terms of what it could do? Here's the thing. I have had an eye on the game for a while. I in mm-hmm. in you know just in passing. 
And I know that a lot of people have been kind of quietly going, you know, this game, this one right here, this is this is going to be this. This might be one to watch. Right. Mm -hmm. But you never really felt it because it's kind of this like B tier franchise in many people's eyes, which might piss off fans. I don't know. But here's for me personally. For the here, general public at least. Yeah. Yeah. But here's me personally. Right. And I've said this on the show before. I have a really hard time with high fantasy or dark fantasy kind of games. I struggle to get interested in them. Um, they all blur together in my mind. It's the, it, To me, they just have a really hard time differentiating themselves from the other ones. You know, it's like if you were to try to tell me Skyrim's world and characters and compare it to like Baldur's Gate and then Dragon Age. And I, it, at some point, my mind would just turn to goop and go like, OK, these all feel like the same thing. Right. So my problem with looking forward to this game is that on paper, it sounds excellent, but I'm just not sure if I were to play it, I would I would hold an interest in the yeah. like the world and the lore and the, in the universe of Baldur's Gate. I can't say that I would be able to do that. So for right. me, I think as ambitious as it sounds like it is and as much as it's doing, I'm impressed with it, but I kind of need to let that I got to let that one go for a while. I mean, Starfield to yeah. me is just is is just way more important. 100%. I, but I'm I'm 100% open to circling back to it. Um, yeah. When there's a dry spell, or uh, you know, it, let's say, like God forbid, even or God forbid, Starfield isn't what I thought it was, right? And then I'm like, right. all right, Baldur's Gate. Then I'll try it out, but I I cannot sit here and say that I have it circled on my calendar. I just can't. I can't. Yeah, I agree. I I, I feel the same way because for me, Starfield is priority, uh, and Baldur's Gate sounds great. But like you, I just can't. I can't commit to that right now. Uh, so, uh, mm. but it's something definitely we'll see uh, down the pike. And if, if it is as good as it's supposed to be, especially with all these new things that came, that news that came out recently, it's definitely a game that I'm going to be looking forward to towards the end of the year. Uh, since you know November, there's not a lot going on there. So uh, we'll see what what this is. But I just kind of want to throw that out there because that was so. I'm, it's been a real obsession. Like I've been watching videos, and then the whole thing came out with the the bear druid sex scene did you see that <laughs> no i did not i so, did not there's a druid that can shapeshift into stuff and he shapeshifts into a bear right before they start fucking and so people all right and, and so you don't mind that bit. you don't mind that but but you got problems with with uh with titty balls and uh in master detective <laughs> but it, it was showed out of context at first but it was like wait bestiality and it's like no it's a druid but it's it's hilarious it's druidality and, uh, yeah, it's through yeah. exactly. All right. Well, uh, we, you know what we do have to do though. We have to we have to give an open critic prediction for that game. We never did. Oh, we never did. For Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Okay. Give me the Baldur's Gate open critic prediction, Pablo. What are you thinking here? I'm gonna go 89. 89. Ooh. Yeah. I, right. I high. think the I think the people are gonna. I, I think that it's gonna be everything I've seen is just kind of amazing. I think a lot of the the complaints will be more or less about just just certain aspects of the game being a little bit too in-depth or maybe uh, some of the story not hitting as hard as, as they wish they'd, it hit, stuff like that. The the run-of-the-mill complaints that people give about these massive 100-plus-hour uh, RPGs like this. So uh, mm. that's where I'm at with, with that specifically. Okay. So I'm going 89. I'm going to go 85. Um, I think it's going to be a solid game. I My biggest concern is with a game that big, Bugs, glitches, yep. crash. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing? You know that—that's my worry, and I—I I wonder the first, if that's yeah. going to buckle a little bit. 
Uh, yeah, the reason I didn't really include that because the first act, the first act of that game, the first 25 hours has been available uh, in early access for about two yeah. years now. And well, they so had it on Stadia thing too, didn't they? Originally, yeah, that's where they that's it was supposed to be Stadia exclusive yeah, at yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. It, it came out in 2020, and now it's in 2020. Yeah, but uh, now it, you know now with 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 so much time put into it and and so much player feedback, they've rewritten companions that people have gone to known to know, and they've rewritten them completely now for the for the complete uh, release. So they're doing some work. They they're definitely listening to fans, and I, and that's interesting to see how that pans out at the end of the day. But I have I have confidence in Larian. You know, Divinity Originals, uh, Sin Two is, is one of the best RPGs. It's not a game for me, a game that really I could get into too much. But in terms of like the, the conversations behind the RPG turn based RPG stuff, it's yeah. a game that people talk about. But yeah, All we'll right. see. We shall, man. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into the main event of the show this week, Pablo. That is called the Checkpoint Chat. Let's do it. <laughs> It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so Q2 of 2023 is officially over, and that means that your friends at Cooldown Time are here to give our scores to the games that came out in the quarter. Uh, And we are going to be doing that with, of course, our own proprietary Cooldown Time review system. Uh, If you tuned in to our Q1 review cast episode, uh, we went through all of the games that we had played at the beginning of the year, and we're going to continue on to tell you which games fall into the following categories according to our review scale, which games are a terrible time, a rough time, an okay time, a good time, a great time, and Timeless, which is our very esteemed award that we only hand out once in a blue moon. We will see if any games happen to have made that uh, classification on our scale. Uh, But Pablo, you know, um, let's go ahead and kick things off, man, and let's start with uh, the worst of the worst. Now, now, for those of you uh, who haven't heard our review cast before, we each have our own uh, list of games that we put in each respective category according to our own personal opinions, but we just so happen to have the same two games designated as a terrible time, which is our lowest rating uh, in our review scale. And those two games are Redfall and The Last Case of Benedict Fox. Um, Pablo, I want to kick it over to you first to talk about these two games, Um, particularly starting with Redfall, Pablo. um, How much of a categorical disappointment was this for you as a a huge Arcane fan, thinking about this game in hindsight now that it's been a a, a couple months since it came out? Uh, Just how terrible is this game and how disappointing uh, is this for you? Yeah, it's the worst case scenario. It's, it's, It's one of my favorite developers releasing a game and just not only being bad but just being horrific in just about every possible way again i stand by the fact that the game isn't a it's horrible because of what it could have been you know what it should have been but in terms of what it is it's not a complete and utter failure but holy shit is it not into the caliber of what arcane is supposed to do or or the bethesda brand or xbox kind of talking up this game as one of the first party branded games and it just being horrible just just bad in that, in that in, within that context uh it, it's it's you know it, it, it's also sad because it could have been working on dishonored 3 or prey 2 any other games uh, litany of games that would have been better even if they did the most basic 
uh, sequel to those games, the most derivative sequel possible for yeah. Dishonored, or would have been better than what Redfall, Redfall turned out to be. And that's a shame. That's a huge uh, uh, shame, not only for Xbox owners, but fans of Arcane, period. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree. I, I think the other part of it, because uh, I think you nailed you know the, the gist of it, but I think the ramifications that had on the image of Xbox and just how bad things have been for Xbox up to a certain point this year uh, was doubly as damaging because it just made Xbox look like they'll never get it together. And that yeah. was, that's what really stung the most. It wasn't just that, because every now and again, Nintendo's going to make a lousy game, PlayStation's going to make a lousy game, and Xbox is going to make one. And it was like, this is the worst time to make a game this bad because it had already but, been so dry, man. But Marco, you could make terrible games, but you have to also have games <laughs> to compare it. No, I, I'm serious. I I've know seen, you are. I know. I've seen conversations, and this is kind of off topic, but it always pissed me off. Just to just to kind of give some context into the conversation, I've seen people talk about, well, nobody's talking about the fact that PlayStation only has Spider Man Two this year. Yeah, because they put out fucking bangers last year. What are you talking about? You can have a year where you just release hmm, just any old game like Spider Man Two, like Xbox having a down year. And then having Starfield, you can still shit on Xbox, Xbox a little bit because of the fact that they haven't released anything in two years. So it's the same thing with this. It's like you can have a bad game, sure, but when it's the only first party game you have to your name as the next next generation only, as that's an, ho- as an exclusive. Particularly. As an exclusive, yeah, right. as a next gen only exclusive. To this day, to today, the only one available as a first party exclusive to your next gen console. That's just a bad look, bro. And no, there's no way of, of going uh, about it. And I just went Matt Damon on you, or or not Matt Damon, Mark Wahlberg. That's just a bad case, bro. That's oh my God, Mark Wahlberg. I, I have Mark Wahlberg in my heart. All right, yeah. Well, I don't want I don't want Wahlberg in my heart at all. You've been talking about your heart a lot this episode, and Wal- Wahlberg might be a part of the problem for you, and caffeine. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and and to me, and, and to kind of before we move on, I would say the last thing is this. Um, I have maintained throughout many years that Arcane is overrated. Boo! I was right. No. I was One right. Game. One game. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you know the story behind this, so you can't just call him over. Oh, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dox uh, Marco. I'm going to send you his email address, his home address. Go ahead and email him and write him and tell him he's wrong. His yeah, address is You can find me at redfail at gmail.com. <laughs> Damn, what a hater. <laughs> no, nah, but you, I mean, look, I get it. Whatever, yeah, I'm not well, going to argue with you. It was definitely the worst case scenario for Redfall, but it was the last case of Benedict Fox. Bravo. <laughs> 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 Let's go. Good shit. Uh, that bad. was also a terrible time this year. Pablo, you know, this was an interesting one because this is one of those indie pickups for Game Pass for Xbox, <laughs> and everybody was like, man, that would look pretty cool, man. The art style looked yeah, pretty cool, I man. I, I sure well, I was on pre- that boat. Yeah. And I, Something in me was like, mm, okay, y'all, we'll see. And that game came out, yeah. and it was, but how? Yeah, it tried to be a puzzler, 2D platformer, Dark Souls-like game, yeah. which is, what are you guys doing? That's it, that, it just, man. It looked, look, I will say, though, it still looked pretty dope. That that was 
it looked beautiful, but man, it played like caca poo poo. You know what I mean? That's All the what kids way. say. That's what the kids say. Yeah, the little kids. Say, yeah, I was gonna say still. the daycare kids say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's what they, they do. They do say it though. They do right. say it. So I'm I'm right. But yeah, I mean, this is there's not much to even talk about when it comes to this game specifically. It's just it's a it's a it's one of those things where again you can have those bad indie pickups, but when all your indie pickups are either 12 minutes. Or a, a game like the last case of of, of Benedict Cumberbitch, it's just uh, it's it's horrible, and it's just a bad look for them all around. And those two, what what do they have in common? What does our terrible time category have in common? Both Game Pass games, so now we can understand why. <laughs> That's you know, true. But we, we can understand why people have been so hard on Xbox. Yeah. They just haven't been doing a good job. They've obviously they're, they're working on it, but it yeah. is what it is. Well, that was. Uh... That'll definitely be the last case of the last case of Benedict Fox. We won't be hearing about sequels, I don't think, for that for that franchise at all. Uh, but that is uh, our terrible time de- designation, which is the worst of the worst. Up next is the games that we found were a rough time. Um, now, rough kind of meaning, you know, mostly bad, but has some the occasional redeemable quality to it. Um, and uh, Pablo doesn't have anything on his side here, but I definitely do. And let's just. Let's just call a spade a spade, ladies and gentlemen. You're wondering where Final Fantasy 16 is going to land. It landed here for me. Um, and, you know, to be honest, um, I thought that maybe I came in too hot in the last episode and that in, in a week's time I would, I would settle back down and go, you know what, it wasn't so bad. No, I feel exactly the same as I felt uh, a week ago when uh, you know I, I, I roasted that game out of the stratosphere and I, and I stand by a lot of it you know it's it is what I said earlier it is the complimentary bread with a bite of what you ordered and um, and it just feels like that game is a, a litany of um, missed opportunities and just a very bad rendition of what um, one, otherwise very talented visionary in Yoshi P um, completely misinterpreted as what Final Fantasy is. Um, It feels like he kind of uh, forced the issue and and made his dream game and got a chance to call it Final Fantasy. It's it's how it feels to me. Uh, And that's just a very unfortunate uh, turn for the franchise Um, because for me, it's this was the first Final Fantasy that I really ever looked forward to in a long time. You think about 13, didn't look forward to that. It looked terrible out the gate. 15 looked like a developmental nightmare. Didn't look forward to that. Here comes 16. It looks great. Every trailer looks awesome. <laughs> and then trailer number 27 looked awesome. And But I'm also like, mm, this is a lot of trailers. And then, ooh, man, trailer 58. There's a lot of these too. And then here we are. And it's just, um, for all the reasons I mentioned last week, it's just terribly unfortunate that um, for me personally, the bad outweighs the good in such a, a crazy ratio that I never could have anticipated. Um, and I had to call a spade a spade, you know? Yeah. It, that, that game isn't on my list yet. I'm still going through it. So I, I want to kind of completely have my um, my my thoughts together before I, I, I obviously uh, rate it. Uh, but Final Fantasy 15 in is a special game that's, within you know with in terms of like in my heart like it, it has a very special place just for reasons surrounding life and just that ending and the certain just 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 things about that game just worked so well when they worked well but even i seeing 16 uh the trailers thought there's no way 16 isn't better than 15 and let me tell you folks 
unless something something drastically changed, 15 is not just slightly better than 16. It is worlds better than 16. It's not even fucking close. But we'll see where it lands on my list um, uh, at the, by the end of the year. Uh, but I don't have it on mine. All right. Well, uh, moving right along, the next um, designation that we have in our review scale is for games that are an okay time. And this is what you'd expect. These are the games that are kind of hovering around that decent, mediocre, mid kind of game that uh, are generally pretty solid experiences, just can't quite get to feeling like a really good game or a really great game or even a timeless game for that matter. Uh, Just kind of that mediocre range. And um, I think this is the category where we have the most to talk about here. Um, We do have some games in common uh, for sure. But Pablo, let's talk about the outliers because you have one on your list that's not on mine because I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Uh, So why don't you go ahead and talk about that one if you don't mind. That's Dead Island 2, the quintessential okay game. Look, nothing about this game is offensive, and nothing about this game is going to blow your mind, but you're going to have one hell of a time playing it. Uh, there's going to be moments that feel a little bit kind of repetitive. There's going to be moments where the, the momentum that the beginning and, and the first act kind of carry don't really follow through completely, and it does get a little bit kind of cumbersome in some areas. However, in terms of what this game is as a total package, is a complete surprise. I just thought this game was going to be complete shit. Talk about development hell. Oh. You know, this game has been development hell, started, restarted, canceled, uh, thrown, passed around by developers like, like, I don't want to say, it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't want to say, it. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it, it ends up being a really just like <laughs> middle. It just ended up being like a really okay game. And I don't want people to think that okay category is a bad category. It's just really what that means. It's just the middle of the road. And I think this is a quintessential game, okay, uh, okay time game. And I, 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 if, you, if you're looking for a fun zombie kind of game, uh, I, I, you couldn't do worse than Dead Island 2. Uh, I definitely recommend it in, within that um, context. So, yeah, that's that's my outlier. Yeah, I'll be game flying this one uh, once I'm done with Jedi Fallen. Uh, Hell yeah. Uh, Jedi Survivor, that's- yeah. This this would be on, That's on perfect. the docket. That's yeah. a perfect game for Oh, game. yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, my outlier, Pablo, is uh, actually uh, an expansion uh, for Horizon Forbidden West called Burning Shores. Um, so this one is, uh, in a similar vein, this is the good kind of okay. Uh, this is the okay where it's like, all right, that was that was okay. It it, yeah. it it checked the boxes. It it did what you kind of wanted it to do as a as expansion content. Had a pretty solid little story. It it expanded the character of Aloy and obviously gave her a love interest, which was obviously uh, hotly debated by all the lovely sane people on Twitter uh, that exist in droves. And um, but yeah, I mean, it it wasn't the kind of ga- uh, game expansion that kind of hit you in that blood and wine kind of way where it's like, man, this just took this 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 product to another level. It was a very nice little complimentary piece to what was there. Uh, and that for, for that reason, that's why I kind of can only go as high as okay time. It didn't really push the overall Forbidden West product forward the way that I've seen other expansions do in the past. So that's why it's here. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is Burning Shores... Uh, a game, a DLC, an expansion of the story that is as bombast as Horizon uh, Forbidden West. Like, it, the is it? Oh, is it more of a personal Aloy story? At the, I don't know what the, um, I don't know what the the story is for Burning Shores. Like, 
I guess what I'm trying to get at is my problem with Horizon Forbidden West has always been the world, the story. Um, you know, the gameplay stuff is fine. I, I, you know, Aloy is is I, I make fun of her breathy performance, but she's she's a great character. Um, you know, Ashley Burch does a great job with her. Uh, but what I'm getting at is like, would I enjoy Birdie Shores if it's more about the characters? Because there's the best, my favorite parts about uh, Horizon Forbidden West has always been like the conversations with people right. and the stories be, in the stories between those characters and the fact that she has a love interest in, mm-hmm. in this one. And it's, you know, I just, I was, I've never, I just thought about that right now. It would, is there a world where I would enjoy Burning Shores, but not really have enjoyed Forbidden West? No, I don't think so. Uh, okay. If I had to split it up, I'd say it's, it's probably like, 65% of, of the DLC is more about, you know, like the Far Zenith faction and what's going on with the state of the world. And then the other 35 is for Aloy uh, as well. So it's it's more of, it's not like in your face, this is an Aloy story kind of thing. It's okay. more, all of, right, all right. it's still more of a, as a accessory to the bigger sci-fi tale that they're telling. Okay. So, but definitely not for someone who is, uh, has had problems with the storytelling uh, of the past with with Horizon, for sure. Um, Completely fair. Now, moving on, the next two games in our OK Time designation uh, we both have in common, Pablo. Uh, real quick, let's talk about Coffee Talk Episode 2, Hibiscus and Butterfly. This is a uh, basically a point-and-click game where uh, you, you play the role as a barista in a... Uh, PM only, like nighttime only coffee shop that takes place in a fictitious version of Seattle, uh, where all kinds of mythical creatures become the actual citizens of the world uh, instead of just humans. So it's a very interesting depiction on society and culture, and um, kind of like this substitute of like racial tension and stuff like that. But in this coffee shop environment that feels very cozy and whatnot, uh, and this is of course part two of that uh, story. Um, Pablo, why did you designate this as an okay time in your opinion, though? Yeah, I think that overall the game itself, I, the the item mechanic as you know a level of of I guess puzzly mechanics in terms of like who, giving this item to the the right person, and whatnot, so on. But I just think overall for me, I don't really I don't really like where some of the stories went, um, or I should say they weren't that interesting to me, uh, and then. You know, comparatively comparing it to, to the first Coffee Talk game, I think that ultimately for me, I think the first one is just a better game. Uh, and just to just it does a lot more of the same stuff, but I think the characters in it and just the, the where some of that stuff leads just ends up being okay. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, did you tell Will about this game? Yeah, he's already uh, into Coffee Talk. Yeah, yeah. So because yeah, I saw it, I saw him playing it on Xbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he yeah. just got an Xbox recently. So he's uh he's oh. he's dabbling. He's he's buffet line in you, Game Pass, man. You, you buy an Xbox game, yeah. and the first thing you do is play Coffee Talk, baby. Let's go. Yeah, he, yeah. He's having a good time. The only thing that and, and he's not the only one that I hear say this. His problem is the controller being feeling so cheap. So I rec- oh, yeah, uh, he yeah, brought yeah, up yeah, the yeah, elite, the, and I said that you you swear by it. So I was like, but, yeah. you know, maybe maybe look into it. But nevertheless, uh, shout out to Will, by the way. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of uh, agree with you. I think the first coffee talk is uh, great. Um, really good story, really good characters, and I did appreciate the fact that this is such a continuation of a lot of those character stories for the most part. I just think that it didn't really live up to the writing standards of the first game. 
uh, and I felt like it lost a little bit of the the snappier um, flow of conversation. Conversations take a really longer time in in two than they do in one, and it, it just kind of drags out a little too long, and you're really not getting anything significant out of that extra conversation. Uh, literal coffee talk time so i think for that it kind of lost a little bit uh, a little bit of the luster that i had for the first game but i still enjoyed it overall and felt like it was a solid game just not enough to kind of reach that higher echelon um yeah in my opinion surprisingly pablo uh this may be a shocker to some people uh because a lot of people are are praising this game to hell and uh that that was no pun intended but diablo 4 (laughs) is uh is our okay time selection as well here um why don't you go ahead and kick us off and talk about it? What 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 made this just okay to you? I guess if you've heard me talk about Dell before, maybe this is isn't that surprising for me. But I think what it was, it's just, I think narratively, obviously, I'm a person that loves the narratives in games, and going into Diablo Four wanting that is maybe a little unfair. But I think that the promise of that with the intro cinematic and and some of the story beats early on were kept me really engaged. And in my build, uh, my Diablo Four build was just super fun to kind of just build upon that and and, and make. Oh, it was a whirlwind barbarian, and kind of. Just see how I can just go through tons of enemies with two moves and, and just kind of build that up. That was fun to see, but it got to a certain point where I needed a little bit more than just that. And then the story wasn't delivering. Uh, you know, the, the the areas, the new areas where I was at just weren't very visually appealing to look at anymore. Uh, some of the stuff, the missions that were I was sent on were just basically fetch quests, go here, talk to this person, go here, talk to that person. It just became a thing where it just wasn't very interesting to me. And that's not a fault of the game because obviously everybody says Diablo 4 starts or Diablo starts when the game ends, right? The the level 50, that's when the real games are. That's the kind of game that I'm not really a fan of anyway, the looter, shooter, collector, slasher, whatever, however you want to call it. I'm not really a huge fan of that. So if I'm missing a massive part of that in that. So for me, what I did enjoy, my, my character building and, and the little bit of the narrative that was early on and, and, and dissipated, unfortunately, that kind of puts it right there in the okay time for me because I did have an okay time with this when I was playing it. It just it got to a point where I hit a wall and it just wasn't that fun for me anymore. My character building stuff just wasn't carrying me over that threshold in terms of like uh, the poor narrative or basically the abandoned narrative at that point where they didn't really, weren't really pushing the story forward anymore. Uh, but yeah... Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, as a person who, who was never a Diablo fan, really enjoyed uh, a lot of 3, and then looking forward to 4, and the promise of that open world, I think that's another thing, where that open world is open world, but I just didn't feel like I thought it was going to feel. Uh, so yeah, it, a lot of those things kind of worked against it, so at the end of the day, it's just an okay time for me. Yeah, you said that really well, and I agree 100%. I think to me, this was a game that kind of started blurring together uh, around mm-hmm. itself after a while. Uh, the world itself is huge but everything just kind of looks and feels the same it's a different it's a different slightly grayer or slightly redder brand of dreary and and downtrodden and that can get a little much after a while um the narrative to me was a very sluggish one it was very much the lilith 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 you're always a few steps behind lilith where is lilith we have to stop lilith and it's just like okay 
okay, but can we do something interesting between now and eventually fighting Lilith, right? And you just don't get there. Um, and a lot of people are going to obviously say, well, that's not what Diablo is all about. It's about sure. your build. It's about playing together. It's about grinding, looting. And I don't doubt that that can be fun, but this game is trying to tell a story. So it's only right that I give that story some credence and actually focus on it and, and critique it like I would any other game. So just because that's not how real Diablo players play Diablo doesn't mean that that's that I should grade it on a curve because I should right. just, I should just tune out of the story and just play the game like a looter and then I'll have more fun. Well, I don't think that tuning out most of the game makes for a more fun experience for me. And I think that's <laughs> what it feels like Diablo four almost wanted me to do in this weird way where it's like the less attention I pay like if I listen to a podcast and play this I'll have a blast well I don't want to listen to a podcast and play this game I'd actually want to be immersed in it but every time I tried it was like man eh just not a lot of interesting stuff going on now what the reason why it's okay and not rough is because it's a good built game it is a good yep. it is a well-made game. I have to give them credit for that. It's not it's not all that buggy. It's not that uh it's it's a little weird with the seasonal stuff. Like I don't really like that whole system oh, of so re-roll a whole character. Re-roll. Oh, what are we talking about? Like that's annoying. That's crazy. But the core gameplay, like the mechanics, the feel is right. And I think that was what kind of kept me um, curious enough to keep going. It just wasn't enough to get me all the way over the edge and, and into a place where I was really enjoying it. Um, so a bit of a disappointment, to be honest, but still an okay yeah. experience for me as well. Um, let's go ahead and move on. Now, Pablo, normally we would go into our games that we consider a good time, but we ain't got none. Um, so we're going to move on to, uh, the next tier up from that, which is games that we consider a great time. I don't have any of those this uh, time around, but you actually do. So go ahead and talk us uh, through it. Yeah, it's Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Uh, it's a game I really liked at first, a solid game even, but the quality changed, uh, but that quickly changed. Sorry. Uh, I think after one of the most exciting and incredible gameplay moments I've I've experienced in video games in a very long time. The game really kicked into high gear for me and really turned around. It, it has a narrative that can stand on its own, which is, it's definitely a Star Wars game, but I think people who just can appreciate a well-written narrative, a, a well-written character, and, and in terms of understanding their their, their motives and, and what drives them, I think that this game does that, and it does it well. It's, it's, it, it, the themes are loyalty, friendship, love, and the way that they bring those all things together without it being overtly Star Wars. Like, it doesn't really rely on those big Star Wars moments. In fact, the gameplay moment I'm talking about isn't really like an incredible moment because it's something that I've seen in Star Wars movies. It's a thing wholly unique to itself that only could exist in this game because of a specific character. Um, so I, I I love that about the game. And then, you know, I think at the end of the day, especially the third act, I think that they just do they just do so such a great job of bringing all those things together into this incredible ending that I felt just was. It was awesome. It was just, it was just, it was just, it's one of, it's one of the best games I've played this year for sure. Only second to, to my timeless game. Uh, when it comes to the gameplay aspect and again, the narrative stuff, all that I think comes together melts to, uh, and blends together beautifully to make, you know, just an excellent fucking game. And I just, I, 
I'm very surprised because I wasn't a huge fan. I was a fan, but not a massive fan of Fallen Order. But this is just takes it into to the next level, and Respawn really showing out with this one, in my opinion. And I hope yeah. that I hope that you that you get to to that point where you actually enjoy it. And again, I want to reiterate. I'm not saying that this game is. You have to play ten hours for it to get good. I think it's good. I just think it becomes great a couple of hours in. So mm. either way, I think that you you come out of the other end playing a good game if it doesn't hit you as well as hard as it hit me. But you know that's just me. Yeah, I mean after finishing Fallen Order, um, admittedly my expectations are kind of low in terms of that's like good. I expect the game to be better in every category than Fallen Order. I don't know what it would take for it to kind of hit that different stratosphere that that you kind of say that the latter portion hits, but I'm curious to find out. I'm bummed that I couldn't be a part of the conversation this week, but I just knew that if I tried to play it now, I'd be on here with my my bitter Marco voice. This game sucks too, and so does Final Fantasy, and everything sucks, so I don't want to do that. Let me say, to to not beat a dead horse here, but Final Fantasy 16, its level design is comical. I think that Jedi fall a Jedi survivors uh, level design is oh it's it's it's, it's incredible yeah. it really is incredible it's amazing it's it's it's, it's Metroidvania esque for sure but just the, just everything just kind of going through those worlds and the way that those are set up I think it's 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 done amazing I think it rivals and this might be sacrilegious but it rivals Demon Souls Dark Souls type of level design where everything connects. And everything makes sense, uh, and I, I I love that about this. That's it's another aspect of the game. Yeah, well, yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be sure to report on how that is going for me uh, in next week's episode. So stay tuned for that, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, that is normally where our rating system is supposed to end. But we do have an ever elusive and extra prestigious classification that we give out in a once in a very blue moon. Uh, and that is the rating of timeless. And of course, as the name suggests, a timeless game is a game that is generational. It is a kind of once in a lifetime kind of game. It is either one of the best of its genre or one of the best games of all time or in that kind of echelon. So needless to say, we don't put games in this category just because it's on a whim or because we're feeling a way of really enjoying a game. We really take this classification seriously and... We do have uh, the same choice for Timeless, actually, and it is the game that all of you think it is. It is The Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom. Tears of joy from uh, Pablo's child out there. <laughs> I don't know if you... Uh, last episode, I didn't pick up a lot of it because the mic behind it, uh, but man, my son is wilding out because he's like, I want to play Tears of the Kingdom, but I lack the consciousness to do it. That's what he said. The conscious. So is he unconscious right now? No, but he, he, he lacks the, the, the mental capacity mm. to enjoy games like uh, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and he has no sense of time, so he doesn't know what the fuck timeless is. You know what? Give him Redfall. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Let's talk <laughs> about a little bit of tears of the kingdom pablo but you know we have talked about this game so many times we've gushed about it so many times i think you know contextualizing it in a way of describing what makes this game timeless however it would be an interesting conversation here so what is it about uh tears of the kingdom that that makes it feel so timeless and so generational or or one of a kind I think one of the first things you have to look at is the hype behind this game before it came out. Uh, I, I think that the expectations were set to ridiculous levels 
and yet it manages to to, to kind of surpass them even. I think consumers would not fathom a game like this, and, and it's and it's just an absolute revelation in that way. I think that the what it does with its open world, obviously, Breath of the Wild did something very similar, but the additions to that, everything with those with with with, with recall and everything it does uh, with, uh, I mean, I, I'm even blanking on the, on, the, on certain things. Um, uh, oh, recall all the moves, yeah. and and. Yeah, but all those all those specific uh, abilities that they added to that game and the in the physics all part of it, it just it, it's just it's done in a way where I don't know if anybody can sit there and recreate this because it is just done in such incredible ways that it really just makes this game feel next level like there's not no game touching it like you look at other open worlds and other games that that are about discovery like it, it just feels. It just feels like there's nothing like it. And, and that's one of the things that it's hard to do. Video games are video games and RPGs and, and action RPGs and all that stuff. Those things are, are, are those key categories when you're talking about genres. Those games are, oh, it's a game like this. It's a game like this. But it's it's hard to say what a game like uh, Tears of the Kingdom is like because I think it's it's its own thing. And that's hard to do uh, nowadays. Uh, it, it just, it, it, for me, it addresses every issue I had with Breath of the Wild in, in terms of its narrative. I think it's it's completely filled with the most impressive and most shocking and most joyful narrative moments of any Zelda game. And that's, you know, we're talking about a prestigious IP here. And when you're when you're doing things in this game that that I never saw have seen or fathom or even thought could be possible in a in a in a Zelda game and even takes me, a guy who has Zelda, you know, permanently tattooed into his body, uh, even completely take me by surprise because you know you 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 have expectations of certain games you love you're like they'll they'll be able to do this or this is yeah oh yeah you're, you're playing resident evil and they do something you're like yeah this is like a great classic resident evil but in terms of zelda and what they did with, with with tears of the kingdom they surpassed any expectations or any kind of thoughts that i would have had in terms of what this game has been able to do and i i i love this game to to pieces and i think it's a it's a revelation to be quite honest uh yeah man and and that's great you know seeing a, a you know fan as as hardcore as you are for Zelda to be able to walk away with that kind of a of a takeaway um I was kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum as somebody who's not particularly uh, a Zelda guy uh to put it plainly I mean I've always admired the series I've liked games in the series but I you know I I'm not one of those people that you look at it and go, oh, he played Zelda? Yeah, he's going to give it like the highest score ever because that's what he does for Zelda games. I'm not that guy. So I really right. didn't think Tears of the Kingdom would be a game that I would classify this high as in our highest rating ever. But um, it just is. It just really is. And so much of why I love Tears of the Kingdom is why I hated Breath of the Wild. And it, it was a conversation that was borderline impossible to have with most gamers because Breath of the Wild was Breath of the Wild and you know it just became uh it took on a life of its own and everything was the Breath of the Wild of this and the Breath of the Wild of that and <laughs> so you it was impossible to kind of go yeah but guys not everybody liked the game yeah but yeah you, you're the minority you know like that's how it felt to me but I felt like a lot of Breath of the Wild's problems was that it was just a very empty and kind of vacant world where it was shrines and a couple of really bad excuses for dungeons and a 
underwhelming final boss and there's your game roll credits and i i never saw the appeal in it when i played tears of the kingdom i'm like this is why i had all those problems because this game is better in every conceivable way compared to that because it is so much more packed with content it has more creativity it gives me more tools it gives me better dungeons it gives me more wow moments it gives me more moments of discovery that are actually more meaningful that i care about and so collectively, you take all those pieces, you put it together, and you give it to me in a way that doesn't feel like another puzzle-solving game, but more of a problem-solving game. Um, and I could actually get behind that. And, and I just couldn't put this thing down, you know? And, and all of a sudden, I'm 70, 80 hours in, 90 hours in, and I'm going, damn, this is a good game, and this is a great game. Oh, this is a timeless game. Oh, my God, I love the story? What? I don't like yeah. Zelda stories. It, it, so it just it, addressed everything, dude. It did. And it's just a way kind of like in even development design wise, like Ascend doesn't Ascend shouldn't be a thing that you can do because it essentially breaks your game because you can just go th- up through anything and come out the other end of it. And yet they've accounted for that. Like things about like Ultra Hand is is in terms of like a creation tool, uh, you can do anything you're as as videos have shown. You can literally do anything you put your mind to it to sound kind of corny. And then the whole recall part of it, just the time as you know, time travels hard in the games. And it, it, but but only a certain few games have, have nailed it. Like Titanfall two, that, that time travel level in that Titanfall two, Dishonored two time tra- uh, travel level is really dope. But this is a, a an ability you have that can take an item and travel it through time, and you can use that to move and maneuver break those shrines in every way like i've i don't think i've ever completed maybe one or two shrines the way they they quote unquote intended yeah. but then again they've also accounted for that and then fuse uh you know really i think a really good way of of kind of circumventing the complaints about uh degradable weapons where you are more interested now in different kinds of, uh, of, of of amalgamations of things to give you that much more per- powerful weapon. And then the Master Sword itself, the thing that this is just a regular sword that you can fuse shit onto and make it even that more powerful. I think that the way they did that uh, is, is, I think, is really super, super dope. Uh, and it, it, for me, it, ultimately, it's just all those things, plus the story, plus the world. It, 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 I mean... Come on, man. It hits all those things that you love about games in a way that I wasn't really expecting. And as a matter of fact, a little bit worried when they showed specifically Ultra Hand. It's like, oh, is this a game that I'm going to be built? Is this Minecraft <laughs> the game? Uh, but yeah. Is this going to be a top Wait. 10 game for you or no? What, all time? Yeah. Is this knocking or is this in it? Or Yeah, it's knocking. It's, it's definitely knocking. Now, I, that's a question. I like that question because it leads me to my question, Marco. Marco, I know we talked about timeless being a rare uh, thing that we give games, but mm-hmm. the, the truth is we gave a game a timeless rating last year as well. We did. And I think well-deserved. Uh, I want to ask you this question. Between our only two timeless games that we have and we rated, which one is the better game? Elden Ring? Or Tears of the Tears of the Kingdom. It's interesting because um, I held Elden Ring in such high regard, even very recently, that it was in my top ten ever. And I think I've come down off of that because coming back to the game, I, I, I did secretly come back to it. I never talked about it on the show, but I a lot of the war to that game kind of reared their head to me, and the things that I already didn't like about the game were like doubly noticeable, particularly 
the world building and the storytelling and the, yeah. the annoyingly cryptic bullshit. There is a sense of simplicity and straightforwardness to Tears of the Kingdom's delivery and the way that it invites you into the world and you feel welcome in it and you don't feel like you're... Con- and, and I know a, a lot of people know that's the intention with Elden Ring. It's to make you feel uncomfortable. Sure, it's sure, to make, sure, yeah. But, but I, I just found myself enamored with Tears of the Kingdom um, because it it felt like I was more part of things and I was more yeah. I, I was a bigger deal in that world than I was in Elden Ring, where it felt like everybody was just going out of their way to tell me that I ain't shit, you know. <laughs> and, and in the most cryptic, tarnished. yeah, the most cryptic, annoying way possible. And I also felt like the ending of Elden Ring for me, my ending was god awful. Um, it, this isn't spoiling anything. I literally just saw my character sitting in a big chair and the credits rolled. And that was literally the ending of that game. And I was like, I just went through hell for that. So to answer the question, Tears of the Kingdom to me is a better game than Elven Ring. I, yeah. I, I won't, I'm not going to be the guy to say, and it's not even close. It's, it's somewhat close. Cause I'm not going to take anything away from Elden Ring. I love that game still, but I think that, there's just not as many issues and flaws with yeah. Tears of the Kingdom in comparison. I know they're going for different things, but still, I just sure. play Tears of the Kingdom and I go, man, it's hard to find a really glaring I, issue. I, you know, it's not going to come to a surprise. I want to get, I want to get the mystery out the way. Of course, for me, it's Tears of the Kingdom, but I, it's close. It, it honestly, if I'm being really honest, I, it's close because I, the 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 things that I, the things that don't work for me on Tears of the Kingdom is the the lack of comprehensive of combat mm-hmm. and what Elden Ring does in spades it's just no game like it is is the combat part mm. of it and I and I love that about uh, about Elden Ring um but I almost feel if FromSoft uh kind of stop the bullshit and focus a little bit on story yeah. that Elden Ring 2 could be what Tears of the Kingdom was to Breath of the Wild. Here we go. And now it could be the Tears of the Kingdom. Of We're doing it again. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> all, all I'm saying that is if you create an actual narrative. I know what you mean, though. Yeah. That is interesting. That it isn't just like uh, the Fallen. Who? Margaret the Fallen is the oh, is sister? I brother? Boy, I couldn't tell the, you a dry watch. God, Godfrey, the... the the Golden? I watched the, all those videos online of here's the story explained. I still have no idea what happened yeah. in that game. Yeah, no, no. I, <sighs> I, I, and, you know, admittedly, I will say that for me wasn't a pain point that much. I just like going to, to, to those combat situations. I think the world is beautifully built. But I think if you do that narrative, like, and really put it on the forefront, a lot like, uh, like Kids of the Kingdom did, Elden Ring 2, it, it could probably be a better game than Tears of the Kingdom for me if, if it came down to that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's fair comparison because it's a game that we talked about as timeless games. Uh, but yeah, it's still, it's going to be Tears of the Kingdom for me. But it is, it is admittedly close for me. Though. You know what else? Closer it, than I thought. It, what, it, what it was for me too with Elden Ring is I think towards like the back half of the game, I ran out of steam. And I, I got tired of getting yeah. getting good after a while. Like there was a point, I think it was like in the snowy part of the map, I ran into this giant troll um, yeah. guarding the, the, something. Oh, I don't remember what the it was. fire troll. Yeah, the fire troll. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was my crap out moment where I'm like, I I don't know if I have anything left to learn a whole another boss, you know. So 
<laughs> that's when I I started leaning. I started leaning on getting like the the you know like help from other players to get me through the end of the game at that point. So I'm like, I, I don't have enough left in the tank for this, man. I'm trying, but I just I cannot learn a whole another string of enemy patterns all over again and die and come back. Thankfully, it's more but, forgiving with the statues of America, where you can yeah. just or Marika or whatever the hell. But yeah, man. the America. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, that's one of the reasons why. I have like 130 hours into the game and haven't really finished it. Like haven't rolled credits, even though I'm literally the the the, the beast that I have to just fight and finish the game. Because I literally was kind of like I'd rather just kind of ride through this world, fight enemies, kind of gain, find cool shit. Because I'm kind of tired of, of the of the of the boss fights in terms of like oh, a whole new pattern, going into a whole new area, knowing that there's a boss at the end of this. I'm like oh, I'm dreading this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Uh, but it's it's still just uh, fuck what a game. But yeah, it's still Tears of the Kingdom. There was those moments though when you when you clean up a boss the first time and you're like, yeah. fuck you. Everybody else is like, this is one of the hardest bosses, and I polish them off like first time or second time. Yeah, that that feeling, that's undefeated. But yeah. there is the but the grindy part of it. Yeah, it, it's tough. But yeah, I mean it. We're, it's a, it's a hair splitting argument there. They're both still timeless games in my opinion, and I think yeah I might bump Elden Ring back up to a higher place in my my all time list right now. Right now it's it's in the, like the early twenties, um, so it dipped a little a fair amount. But I uh, think it's, I th- it's high up there for me. I think that if I if I start a new playthrough again and I really dive in all the way like I did the first time, I might kind of rekindle some of that that spark again. Um, <laughs> good one. <laughs> you didn't do it on purpose. Not but at all. The rekindle. Yeah. Uh, but that is going to do it for our quarter two review cast. We will, of course, pick this back up again uh, at the end of Q3 to tell you what we think of the next crop of games that are coming out to us. Hopefully we'll have a little bit more good greats and, and maybe some more timeless ones to speak of. But it was kind of a kind of a eh quarter in games but with the exception of zelda of course uh and and, and obviously star wars for you but hopefully. it's because it, it we had the expectations of it being better yeah we definitely did that's for sure uh but here's to a better quarter uh but in the meantime that is going to do it for this week's episode until next time please don't forget to subscribe to our show and to follow us on instagram twitter and threads at it's cooldown time uh thank you for listening and we will see you next week peace out Make me feel good.